So we are, we are getting into the word in John chapter 14. So the way this class works is that uh, we pick a book of the Bible and we go through the entire thing, start to finish chronologically. Well, not chronologically, we go through chapter by chapter. It's not always chronological, the way that the author has, has rendered their, their writings. So today we're in, in John chapter 14. And if uh, you were here last week, we were covering the Last Supper, which is the last Passover meal. And maybe I should talk about this for just a second here. The Last Supper is also known as another name, especially in Catholicism. What's the name for the Last Supper in Catholicism? Especially with a U. E-U. Eucharist. 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 We call this the Passover meal, but it's in quotes. Why is it in quotes? Because it's not... First of all, if the timing of the way that the Gospels record when this meal took place, it was not on the Pas- it was not the Passover night itself. It was the night before, and so we call this the quote Passover meal or the last Passover meal of Jesus, because it appears as though Jesus intended it to be a Passover meal. The way that it was executed, the way that. Um, uh, everyone was together, and the way that the dinner proceeded, and the way that the glasses of wine were drank, and we're not going to get into it today about all, how all that works, he intended it to be a Passover meal of, of some sort. So we've just concluded that, and right before John chapter 14, the betrayer of Jesus has just bolted from the dinner party. Who was the betrayer of Jesus? Anyone? Kenna knows it. Lily knows it. What is it? Judah or Judas? Yes. So, so Jude, Judas, or Judea, or Judah are all kind of the same name. And so it was one of the most common names in the first century in Judaism. So Judas Iscariot, Iscariot meaning he was from Edomia. Should I draw a map? I, we've got guests. We, we should draw the map, the horrible maps that I draw, and, and you know, we can illustrate this. Thank you so sweet. I love you. Right. It's Father's Day, so you have to be nice. Yeah, that was, Let's see. Here we have. Wasn't even. Wasn't even. Well, it was Jerusalem. Here we have Sea of Galilee. We have the Jordan River. We have the Dead Sea. What was I just talking about? Oh yeah, Edomia. Edomia, where Herod the Great was from. So this is Edomia, this is Judea, <coughs> this is Samaria, and what's north of Samaria? Galilee. Galilee. So <coughs> Judas Iscariot from Edomia. Um, there are actually two apostles named Judas. The other apostle named Judas is also known by another name, which is Thaddeus. So some of our uh, uh, apostles of Jesus are known by two names. In fact, uh, even Paul himself, the, the apostle Paul, is known by a different name, which is what? Saul. Saul, very good. So good morning. Welcome back. I'm tangent. This, this class is all about tangents. We will get to the <laughs> point here. I promise. So here we are. Judas Iscariot has just bolted from the dinner because Jesus has basically told him, I know you're going to betray me, so just go and do it. Why are you waiting any longer? Judas bolts. At that moment, Jesus remarkably starts to call his disciples by children. You are my children. Now, suddenly we have now the 11 who are left who are really and truly the saved apostles of Jesus whom Jesus loves. And he goes through this discourse, this very elaborate discourse, a very passionate personal discourse, revealing to them 
both here in the room and then later on the Mount of Olives, which <coughs> this is kind of a you know big map. So let's imagine that this is kind of the city of Jerusalem. There's the Kidron Valley, and then we have this Mount of Olives right here. There will be this discourse that goes on. All four Gospels record parts of this. <clears throat> the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record that after Jesus finishes the dinner and finishes this big elaborate speech that we call a discourse, they then move to the Mount of Olives where he finishes his speech, and it's called the <clears throat> Olivet Discourse. And this is an apocalyptic discourse. The first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this <clears throat> as the end of the world is coming. The end of the, the temple is coming. <clears throat> uh, it's a very apocalyptic thing. John does not record this. But anyway, long story short is there's this very passionate personal speech that Jesus gives at this point. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and read. And we ask for volunteers, victims, to read <laughs> if you are so willing. It's very easy. I don't, I don't have to call you by name, or I can call you by code name. So it's very easy, actually. We have, I like to break this up. I would like someone to read, please, John 14, verses 1 to... Let's make it easy. Let's do 1 to 14 first. Who would like to do that for me? I can do that. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way through the Father is through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father too, but now you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, that is all we need. Jesus answered, I have been with you a long time now. Do you still not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So why do you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you don't come from me, but the Father lives in me and does his own work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or believe because of the miracles I have done. I tell you the truth, whoever believes in me will do the same things that I do. Those who believe will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And if you ask for anything in my name, I will do it for you so that the Father's glory will be shown through the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. This is a remarkable passage. What do you guys take from this? If you're sitting there, and first of all, what do you notice about who is asking the questions here? Now, traditionally, when you're reading the Gospels, a few key names will pop out over and over and over again. Who are some of the who are some of the disciples slash apostles who you hear about constantly in the first in the Gospels? Peter. Peter. Who else? John. John, the author of this gospel, and James, his brother. So those are kind of the core ones. Those seem to have the most dialogue. Who asks this question here in, in, in chapter 14? Thomas. Thomas. Thomas the twin. <clears throat> Thomas Didymus, or Doubting Thomas, we call him. So now we're starting to see the author of John is making it clear this isn't just the Peter, James, and John show. The other apostles have questions. And look, you'd think they've been with Jesus for three years. They know him. They should know him by now, right? 
What are we starting to realize here? It's the night before Jesus' execution. How well do the apostles know their teacher? I would, I would throw in a little bit of fear yep. there. Yep. I listen to that passage, and I'm like, Jesus, is, he's kind of like, okay, I'm out of here, you're taking over. It's on you now. That's pretty heavy. So, you know, let me go with you. This is really important. Who is the Jewish Messiah? When I say Jewish Messiah, the first century Jew would tell you who is the Messiah for them. He's going to be a king who comes. He's a king. <coughs> what else is he? He's going to militarily defeat. He is a military the ruler. ruler. The Romans. That's what They're going to destroy the Jews' enemies. Not make them go away. He's going to destroy them in battles, in, in war battles. What else is he to them? Who is he descendant of? King David. He is a Davidic king. Davidic king. <clears throat> Just a week earlier from this, we call Palm Sunday. It's, it's, the, it's the great entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last time. Thousands of Jews came out and threw palm branches and, and cloaks at his feet, signifying what? That they thought of Jesus as who? Yeah. This. They thought what was about to happen. What did they think was about to happen here? going to take over. This World War III is yeah. coming. <laughs> We are ready. Dude, we're ready. I've been hiding a sword in my basement, right? I got clubs with, like, nails sticking out of them. Dude, it's on. I'm ready. I got, I got torches. That's kind of like today, right? <laughs> I'm ready to, like, burn the place down. And now you're hearing this very personal speech from Jesus, and he's saying what? Don't let your hearts be troubled. I am going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to my father's house where there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'll take you with me. Like, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out, time out, time out. I thought you just said we were about to like start World War III here and you're leaving us? This doesn't make any sense to them. This is completely not what they were expecting. And so I think you're absolutely right here. He didn't raise them up to be military leaders either. At what point, Jesus is like, you know, he doesn't smoke. I just do that because this is like the, you know, the sarcastic response. It's like, at what point did I say I was going to be a military leader, right? At what point? Now he talks about, let's talk about this. This is it. John 2, 19. Who would like to read that for me? Because this is a key verse that Jesus, it may have been misinterpreted in the very beginning of his ministry. Who can read that for me? So right at the beginning, Jesus alludes to what sounds like there's going to be a war and the, the Romans probably or, or you know, the enemies of the Jews will try and destroy the temple, the physical temple on Mount Zion in Jerusalem where all the Jews say is the most holy place and has the holy of holies and God's presence in the first, early first century resides there where the Ark of the Covenant used to be, and probably is not there now, but maybe there's a replica, we just don't know. But in the most holy of holies, in the sanctuary of the temple, God's presence lives right now in the first century on this night. 
But Jesus' words, uh, maybe a few years earlier, made them think, we're going down this path. There's going to be a war, dude, and they're going to burn it all down. But guess what? Our Messiah, he's going to build it right back up again. Like, it's not going to matter. Yeah, Ezra and Nehemiah, they all came back, dude, and they rebuilt it. Look, they can't destroy it. We'll just rebuild it again. Now he's saying, I'm going away. I'm going away. I think you're right. There's fear here. What else do you take from this? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Wait a minute. This doesn't sound like just a normal prophet. If you really knew me, you would know my Father. From now on, you do know him as, and have seen him. You have, if you have seen me, Jesus, you have seen the Father. What does that specifically tell you about Jesus? This is a big one. I don't remember the Messiah being God. At what point... At what point did me in the first century, the first century Jew goes, wait a minute, time out. You're saying that you're God. Now this is why the Jews wanted to stone him just a few weeks earlier. This is what kind of, I think, caused the end game. And then in my personal opinion, how God triggered it was Jesus overturning all of the marketplace in the temple a few days earlier. I feel like that was his death sentence at that point. They had to kill him at that point because they're disrupting their way of life, their business. Jesus is calling himself co-equal with God here. This is huge. This is huge. How does a first century Jew interpret that? <laughs> Kill him. You, how dare you? This messianic ruler is not God. This is not how they have interpreted it. Even though if you go back to the Holy Jewish Scriptures, which we call the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, it's very clear. The, the branch of Jesse is the root of Jesse. Yeah. Right. He saw his appearance or saw his manifestation. And, and when he did that, he saw part of his manifestation. And when he did that, he was glowing from head to toe. Um, and even that faded. What happens if you actually see God in all of his glory? You explode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You explode. Yes, that's it. You blow up, you die. Jesus in the Beatitude Beatitude says, blessed are the pure in heart, because why? The only way you can see God is if you are totally pure in heart. Every human who's ever walked on this earth is what? I'm sorry to say. If you see God, you're going to die. Now, Jesus just said, if you see me, you've seen God. Again, they're like, what are you talking about? None of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. Jesus as God. He is co-equal with God. Now, when he was talking about destroying the temple, this is a big one too. This is so much big stuff here. What was Jesus talking about? Himself. Himself. He, he is the temple. He is the temple. Guess what? Nehemiah and Ezra, they came back and they, they rebuilt the temple and the walls and all of that. Solomon built the first temple. David, before that, managed the tabernacle. Moses created the tabernacle. I mean, you go back in history, every time a ruler of Israel created a place that was supposed to house the presence of God, how did that go? How, did it, how well did they do managing that? Well, let's see. First temple was destroyed, <laughs> right? Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> we had constant war. The, the Jewish people went into exile, right? Uh, through the Babylonian captivity. They rebuilt the temple, but guess what? Just a few years from now, in 70 AD, guess what will happen to the temple again? <laughs> Thank you. You are so... I love you. <laughs> Very good. You're so good. But it gets re- like the most ain't coming back at that point, not, not, not immediately. Jesus is making a point here. He's saying, and remember, this is another good one. This, is all, this all ties together, and this is, this is kind of a map. The tabernacle and then the, the temple itself was supposed to be the physical representation of the heavenly realm of where God lives, his abode. Remember, it was physically supposed to represent where God lives in heaven, in the heavens, Okay. It's just the earthly representation of that. And thus, this is why the Ark of the Covenant was God's footstool. If you want to think of it, it was the, it was the connection point between heaven and earth. God resided in this holy of holies. Guess what? God's presence in the holy of holies is about to end. Four days from now, on Resurrection Sunday, is the last day. God's presence. No, on Good Friday, excuse me, is the night before. Sorry, I caught myself there. The night before. There's basically 12 hours to go before God's presence leaves the temple forever. The clock is ticking. It's like 24. Remember that show with Kiefer Sutherland? The, the countdown is on. It's less than 24 hours. God's presence on this night is in there. As soon as Jesus dies on the cross the next day, what happens to the curtain in the Holy of, between the Holy of Holies? It rips apart. It rips apart and signifies what? That God's presence has left the temple never to return. The dead are raised. There are earthquakes. The sun is darkened. This is a big moment. And what is Jesus telling them here? He's telling them, guess what? This was never meant to be permanent. <laughs> Jesus. never could go unless Right. This is my Jesus. <laughs> he's the temple. He has no arms. There, he's got hands. Yeah, because it's the perfect representation of God's dwelling on earth. How awesome is that? I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. What happens on the first night of Pentecost? Now, about 50 days from now, they will celebrate a Jewish feast called Pentecost. But at that, at that feast, what happens on earth? The apostles receive God's Holy Spirit, which is manifest how? Tongues of fire, Tongues of fire right? Dude, it's not exploding, but it's kind of cool, right? There's fire <laughs> above their heads. How many people became believers in Jesus on that night? In one night, I, I would argue that more people became disciples of Jesus than probably in Jesus' entire earthly ministry of three years. In one night. When Jesus says, you will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, he wasn't kidding. Look, folks, Jesus' ministry, if you think about it, he wasn't the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you think about how far Paul traveled, thousands of miles, if this is, if this is to scale... The entire Mediterranean probably takes up this entire wall and half of the next room. 
and think Paul traveled probably almost the entire northern extent of that, back and forth at least three times, maybe four. Jesus, in contrast, he pretty much stayed a li- quite a bit in Galilee. He traveled a little bit through Samaria and a, and a little bit in Jerusalem and a little bit in what we call the, the, um, uh, the, the ten cities over here. Uh, in, in, in essentially Gentile territory across the Jordan. That's it. That's all he ever did. He has 12, 11, very close, committed disciples. You will do even greater things than this. But again, it gets back to what are they thinking? They're saying, no. I thought you were going to be a military rule. I thought you were going to destroy the Romans. The Romans, this is a big one. The Romans are an oppressive oppressive empire. Judea is poor. This is poor. It's backwater. They really don't have any economy to speak of. There's squalor. I thought you said everything was going to be better, and he is saying this very different message. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Now we want to know, okay, what is this Holy Spirit you're talking about? 15. Verses 15 to the end. Who can read 15 to 31 for me? If you love me, you will obey my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of the truth, the world cannot accept him because he does not see him or know him. But you know him because he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you all alone like orphans. I will come back to you. In a little while, the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because I live, you live too. One day you will know that I am in the Father, my Father, and that you are in me and I am in you. Those who know my commands will obey them. Those who love me and my Father will love those who love me. I will love them, but will show myself to them. Then Judas said, But Lord, why do you plan to show yourself to us and not to the rest of the world? Jesus answered, If people love me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Those who do not love me do not obey my teaching. This teaching that you will hear will not be mine. It is from the Father who sent me. I have told you all these things while I am with you, but the Helper will teach everything and will cause you to remember all that I told you. This Helper is the Holy Spirit from whom the Father will send in my name. I will leave you peace. My peace I give you. Do not give it to you as the world does. So don't let your hearts be trembled or afraid. You heard me say say to you, I am going, but I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you should be happy that I am going back to the Father because he is greater than I am. I have told you this now, before it happens, when it happens, you will believe. Do not talk with you much longer, because the will of the world is coming. He has no power over me, 
but the world must know that I love the Father. I do exactly what the Father told me to do. Come on, now, let's go. You did awesome. That was great. Very good, Lily. That melts my heart. That's, that's great. It makes it, doesn't it make it even more impactful hearing it from a child? I mean, it gives me chills to hear that. What do you, what do you take from this? What's your reaction? Now, it's like, why, yeah. why are you going to show us but not the whole world? Because mm-hmm. then he wouldn't have to reveal it. Just so I understand, this isn't Judas Iscariot, right? Oh, I thought. Yeah, no, this is, this is a different, not Iscariot. This is, this is probably Thaddeus, a man who's also known as Judas or St. Oh, Jude. A Catholic will call this person St. Jude. Oh, I didn't read that part. Yep, it's all good. I mean, if Judas was still there, this is a good point. Yeah. I, think, I think Jesus made him leave. He did. Because otherwise this would happen. He would start arguing. And he would start trying to, you know, you know divert things. And, and Jesus knew that would happen. He's like, just go. <laughs> just get out. Thoughts? Judas is kind of showing that they still are very Yes. You know, it's hard to undo all these years, you know, when you're raised. They were raised to think that the Messiah was a certain way. And so even just the fact that they were with Jesus for three years, it's still, they just Mm -hmm. don't, you know. Yeah. But I mean, in Isaiah, it says that they'll see and not hear, or see and, you know. Yep. But maybe he's sensing there's something bigger. Maybe yeah. he's sensing this is really big, so why aren't you just showing us? You know, why are you not letting us know? This is good. This is good. To think that maybe they're beginning to see. Maybe their eyes are beginning to see just a little. And even that's blowing their minds. I like this, Sherilyn. I would say, oh, I'm sorry, um, a patty. <laughs> 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 I like this because, you know, look, look, at, look at today's digital age. How many of your favorite YouTube, um, you know, influencers, how many subscribers do they have? Millions, millions of subscribers, right? Maybe, maybe their videos have been downloaded hundreds of millions of times. I can totally see this. The disciples are looking at Jesus like, dude, if this is so big, why is it just the 11 of us who are left in here that you're telling all of this to? Why aren't you out on the mountain like, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah. Why didn't you say all this when you came into Jerusalem? You're going to leave what with us? You're going to what? How are what? Yeah. I love the remembrance that you said that the Holy Spirit will bring you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Why is that important, Ken? <clears throat> I, mean, I, I like to take that word apart, to yep. remember, meaning to put all the members back together. To oh, I like to, that. Well, you walked like with that. me for three years. You're going to forget 
all these things, but the Spirit is going to help you to put all that back together. I mean, I look at my life and, <clears throat> and what, I, what I'm going through today may be yep. tough and overwhelming and <coughs> more than I think I can handle. Mm-hmm. If I just remember, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I like to tell people that, <clears throat> you know, they say, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. Well, you've gotten through everything so far up to this point. Thank you. <laughs> I've made it this far. So if you can just put all that back together and, and then recognize, make the connection that God is the one that carried me, that Jesus, in their case, was the one that did all these miracles, that loved all these people, everybody, regardless of anything. How many of you keep a prayer journal? of God's actions in your life? How many of us should? (laughs) Guess what? The New Testament is your prayer journal. Guess what? Someone decided they were going to write this stuff down because they didn't want to forget. You, a Gentile in the New World, 2,000 years later, are probably believers because someone wrote a prayer journal. The Gospels are prayer journals. And even more remarkably, to your point, Ken, when were the Gospels written? <laughs> Jesus is doing his ministry somewhere around 30, 33 AD. Okay. When do the Gospels get written? Specifically, when do we think the Gospel of John, the book you're reading from now, was written down? Like 60-ish. Oh, I wish. Or 90s. We are pretty sure that the gospel you are reading now wasn't written down until almost the end of the first century. How many years after Jesus' life was that? Thank God he eventually did it. (laughs) Better late than never. Better late than never. Guess what? How do you think he, and probably over the course of the decades that transpired before the rest of them died, and John probably alone being the last apostle in Greece, writing or in Turkey, writing this, this gospel, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is helping him to remember everything that's happened here, folks. There's a lot of detail here, and I don't know about you, but I tend to forget what I've done the day before. Now, this is, you know, 60 years later. The Holy Spirit is going to help you to remember everything, but, but write it down if you can't. I don't know about you guys. I have the, the reminder app on my phone. I use it every day. I use it like three times, four times a day. I'll forget if I don't write something down, I'm going to forget it. Thank God someone wrote this stuff down. Because we start to get Gospels in the second century, and they're crap. Because <laughs> they're not written by apostles, and they're written by people who were not part of the Holy Spirit, and are writing things down for their own intentions, and they're complete garbage, and they're not accurate at all. It, it's almost as if to say, <clears throat> you don't have to make it up. Yeah. All you got to do is remember it. Yeah. Well, the, like that. Yeah. We know that the Holy Spirit was guiding them in, their, in what they remembered or wrote mm-hmm. down because that, it, it says that specifically. Mm-hmm. That it's not just writings of man, that it's God-breathed. It's right. coming from the Holy Spirit's working mm-hmm. through them mm-hmm. to get it put down. Jesus nice. is telling them that that would happen, but it just it, you know, reinforces that. I like that. Can I ask a question? Yes, ma'am. And as this is off, and say later, you can ask me <laughs> Um, how long was there between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost? 50 days. 
or about seven and seven weeks, give or take. So during that time, was there? Oh, you mean the? Okay, I see what you're saying. You mean when he finally rose on the Mount of Olives? Yes. Yeah. 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 For a while. Um, so when? How much time be, between mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit came like how long was the world without a presence of God I, I see what you're asking this is an excellent question this is an excellent question and I have to embarrassingly say I don't know the exact time I don't know if it's recorded I don't know that it's recorded yes that's it 40 so then it would have been 10 days it would have been 10 days he was here for about 40 days and then 10 days later was pen so Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, I loved your little thing with God's presence, and then God's presence came manifest yeah. through Jesus, and then once mm -hmm. Jesus left, it just made me think, mm -hmm. was there an absence of God's presence on the earth yeah. for those 10 days mm -hmm. before the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit mm -hmm. came, mm -hmm. and he was manifest again? I don't, mm -hmm. know, I don't know. That would have been a shocking 10 days, right? Now, it doesn't mean that God wasn't acting in the world, and it didn't right. mean that he wasn't influencing the world and present there, couldn't be there, but his, his helper... That's a great one. That's a great one. And and to remember, I think, you know, um, we, we know that we have evidence from the Old Testament where the, the helper or the Holy Spirit was given transiently. The Holy Spirit came on Samson and he had great power. The Holy Spirit came on Elijah and he had great power and that sort of thing. Um, but it's a great, that's a good one. I like that. See, I'm so glad you came, Patty. We could talk about that. Um, <clears throat> Here's, I really want to talk about this. Who is the counselor or helper? This is a good one. The Greek, the Greek is a word called parakletos. That doesn't mean anything to us now, but, but in the first century, this, this had a very specific meaning. It was a lawyer. Now, lawyer has a very negative connotation today, right? You think of like LA law or something like that. No, no, no. What they mean is an intercessor to go before a judge and plead a case for a client. Okay, so the, the parakletos would go before the important magistrate and say, I have this person who's been wronged. I have this person who uh, uh, maybe has, has, has had some financial problems due to something else happening. I have this client who's been wrongly accused by the state, by the empire, and, and basically I'm going to plead my case to the judge. That's what this word means, a helper, an advocate, an intercessor. What does that now tell you? about the Holy Spirit and his role. I'm in charge if we let him. Say it again. He, he would be in charge if we let him. That's interesting. That's interesting. If I hired him. Okay. Retain. If I retain him. Yeah, right. Luckily, his fee is what? Uh huh. <laughs> this is it. See, this is good. Yeah. Isn't isn't religion so interesting? Sometimes <laughs> there's no there's no right or wrong answer. Um, yeah, the intercessor, and the words that you hear are not what <clears throat> his own. They belong to the Father. But the Counselor, the Spirit, the Father will send in my name and will teach you all things. It's always a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. So what is the Holy Spirit? Um, there's a lot of Bible studies you can do online and you can buy books and stuff like that about who is the Holy Spirit. Probably the most misunderstood aspect of God, right, to some degree. I don't even fully understand the Holy Spirit, but we'll say the scripture right here is telling us he's a teacher, he's an intercessor, he's a helper, he's a reminder. <clears throat> 
And where does the Holy Spirit live? On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit then started to reside where? Permanently. In Christ followers. In the in the twelve disciples? Only? No. This is the great part. This is the great part about great theologians and learned men will argue until they're blue in the face about who Jesus is exactly talking about here. And some people will argue the only people who had any power and the Holy Spirit came upon was just the now 11 disciples who are left. Most of the rest of us rational people read that and say, no, he's talking about anyone who's a Christ follower. Anyone who is a Christ follower truly believes Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will live inside of you. Now, suddenly, <clears throat> okay, so, so God's presence was in Jesus. <clears throat> and now, God's presence is where? In all of us who total, truly believe that Jesus, you are now a temple. You are now a representation of God's dwelling in heaven. The Greek mone means an abode, a dwelling. It, it kind of means a room, but not really. It means a living place, a living quarters. He's residing in you. He comes home to you. He lives in you. Now, I don't know about you, Having God of the universe who created everything living inside of me is pretty awesome and terrifying. <laughs> and terrifying. This is so awesome. And kind of, again, Sherilyn, I think to your point here about your question about where God's presence was, now we have kind of this weird situation where from between about 33 AD to, oh, let's see, right about here, 70 AD, there's an empty temple, folks. There is an empty temple where God's presence no longer dwells in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. Now, some of the people who were called Jews at the time who believed Jesus was the Messiah, certainly the Holy Spirit will have lived in them. So you've got these people walking around where God's presence did dwell, right? That's the light. <laughs> But it's not in the Holy of Holies anymore. And then in 70 AD, what happens to, the, to Jerusalem and the temple? He comes back. Burned to the ground. Here, the Romans had had enough of the Jewish, there was a Jewish revolt, again, one of many, and they'd had enough. They sieged Jerusalem for over a year. And siege warfare means they closed off the city and everyone starved and there was no getting in or out. And if you escaped, they would kill you. <clears throat> And then they burned it to the ground and they killed everyone that was in there. So in 70, the temple is, is kind of finally destroyed for our, our current era. And now we are the temples. There's, there's, there's millions of temples walking around this earth. And this is so different, folks. I can't tell you how different this is from antiquity, from religion in antiquity. If you were going to worship a god, what did you usually do? You went to a temple or a shrine or some kind of physical place that you said God is here and, and even the Romans would have them in their houses. You would walk in and there would be a shrine on the right for the household gods. And you would walk over and you would give your you know, offering to them and you would you know, give a chicken or some grain or oil or wine as an offering to those gods and say, okay, let those gods' peace dwell on me while I'm in this house. And, and God is totally transforming the concept of religion on earth at this moment. He's saying there's not going to be any more temples. And there's not going to be any more sacrifice. Sacrifice is what now? What is the sacrifice that says, I love God, the proof that I love God? 
it changes. It's no longer wine and oil and grain and chickens. What is it? Yes, sweetheart. Getting baptized. Getting baptized is absolutely part of the proof that you are giving your life to Jesus, and it is, it is demanded of believers. That goes along with what? How do I know that I truly love God? Yes! This is exactly it. Did I even write it on here? Who loves Jesus? Oh, I did. Who loves Jesus? You're so good. You didn't have to. See? You should be teaching. Keep God's commandments. Keep God's commandments. Do what he tells you. Do exactly what he tells you. Because that would have been confusing like what? Yes. We've been trying to do this. Yes. And if you're a good Pharisee, there's a lot more laws than even the Hebrew Bible says. I, mean, I, I like to sum it up today as hmm? love God, love people. That's, yeah. That's the greatest of them. Right. Right. Yep. He says you'll produce what? If you're doing God's work and you love God, you'll show it. How, what's the physical evidence of your salvation? And this is where people get it reversed. Changed. Your changed life, metanoia, your repentance means that you has led to a transformation that you're now different than you were before. But then what? Like a tree. Yes. You're, you're going to produce fruit. And it's, look, I don't know about you. Most trees that I see produce fruit, it's, you can see it. Uh, it's, look, it's apples, right? Um, you don't go look at a tree and I don't see anything on it. If, it. if it's not producing fruit, you know. Fruit is a physical manifestation of your works. And this is where Christians, a lot of, you know, a lot of religious people get it wrong. They think the fruit is what leads to salvation. Guess what? Your salvation is what leads to fruit. If you're truly saved you truly believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that metanoia, that transformation, then leads to a production of fruit, a visible evidence, the works. The works follow the salvation. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Look, it's right there. He who does not love Jesus, there is no fruit. What does Jesus say about fig trees that don't produce fruit? And this is actually the opening of the Olivet Discourse in the Synoptic Gospels. This parable of the, of the fig tree, fig tree that doesn't produce fruit, what happens to that? Cut it down and you throw it in the fire. I'm sorry to say, folks, <laughs> eternal damnation is biblical. Now, you don't have to believe in it. You don't have to believe in any of this. If you accept that this is the holy and immutable word of God, hell is a real thing. It just is. I don't like gravity, especially in my old age. <laughs> that doesn't mean if I don't believe in gravity, I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, break my back every time I sit down for four hours at a meeting and then try and get up. Fall and hit my head on the ice. What do you guys... Yeah. Mm. Changing that whole paradigm yes. and saying, guess what? If you love me, it yes. comes from this 
not because of just following because it's it's the law, the Jewish law, I have yep. to abide these and do these things, but he's saying, I'm showing myself to do you love me. Hurt. And now here that's going to produce that fruit. That's going to come come out in a way different way that is way more powerful than the sword or with coming in as a military leader. Can we understand then? This is so right. Can we understand then how hard it was for a Pharisee of the first century to understand this? This was like Greek <laughs> to them. They, what are you talking about? I have to do, the Pharisees are doing it for extrinsic reasons. They're like, I'm going to do it so I look like a good Jew, right? What do you mean my heart? Well, who cares about my heart, <laughs> right? I just have to check a bunch of boxes out of love. Now, I can accept that there are people who out of, you know, they call it Catholic guilt, but it's Christian guilt, feeling like God wants me to go to church, drag my butt to church on Sunday for an hour, I'll go through with it, right? Because my mom will call me and give me crap if I don't. I'm just making an example here. It's be like, okay, I'll do that, you know. I'll try and be a good person. I'll have a holy Bible somewhere in my house. Don't remember exactly where it is. I know it's in here somewhere. That extrinsically, they're trying to check the boxes. And that's, that's the case where God is also saying, you're kind of also screwed up. <laughs> you're, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, Pharisee. He doesn't say it that way, but he's like, you're trying too hard extrinsically to prove something that in your heart of hearts, you know, they say where your heart, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Your treasure is your time and your money. How much time in your fruit are you spending with your Christian brothers and sisters? How much time are you spending every day reading the word? Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's an hour, I don't know. How much, how much effort are you putting into your children to raise them as Christians? All of that's the fruit that God says, look, you may check a box on Sunday and try and make it look like you're following God, but is that where your heart is? I totally love this, this is it, this is exactly it. What else? I was going to do the next chapter. This is so great. I always do this. If I think it's not going to be enough and I'm going to do two chapters, we never get through them both. So this is good. I, I'm a little caught up in that. <clears throat> I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Ah. <clears throat> I suspect I get tripped up on that a little mm-hmm. bit. Like, he's one with the Father, and yet he still says, mm-hmm. he's still humble. Mm-hmm. This is so good. How can God be both humble and master? (laughs) Jesus Christ, (laughs) right? This is great, Ken. This is exactly it. How can I be co-equal with God but still humble? This is God's way of saying, I am humble. What did Jesus just do in the preceding chapters? As soon as the, the guests arrived for the final meal, Jesus did what? with each disciple. Yes, he washed, he made. This is so good. He's saying this on purpose, Ken. He's saying, look, I just proved to you like three hours ago that I am your servant. And unless you serve others like God is serving you, there is no place for you in my kingdom. Jesus is the great servant. I don't get it. How is the Trinity? How does it work? I have no idea, Ken. It's like my... I'm a scientist, quantum physics, I have no idea how that works. I can explain it. I know the rules. I have no idea how it works. No one does. The Holy Spirit is exactly the same. I don't understand it. It just is. She understands it. We have some smart people here. 
you know, some people say it's the egg analogy, right? There's the yolk and the white stuff. And the sh have you guys heard this with the Trinity? I'm like, I don't know. That seems weird. It's an egg. I don't get it. What else do you guys take from this in our, in our final moments here? Pruning. Let's talk about that because people don't like to hear that. What do you... You guys come from an agriculture state. You're surrounded with agriculture, right? You just let an almond tree or, or a peach tree or an apple tree grow without any kind of input. Maybe you water it. What happens to that? <clears throat> less fruit. Less fruit than if you trim it back. Yeah. This is, this is plant science. This is what I like. This. <laughs> this is plant science. These trees, you know, <clears throat> think of it this way. You only have so many hours in the day to give what you have. A tree, or this is like a will, it's terrible. <clears throat> you have this tree, it only has limited resources and only so much sun and rain and nutrients in the soil and carbon dioxide in the air to produce fruit. It has a limited amount of resources to produce fruit. If you let it grow out of control and it grows like crazy, what ends up happening? Well, if there are 10,000 little apples on this tree, every apple gets part of that pie. And you get a bunch of little knobby apples that are disgusting and no one's gonna eat those, right? And it, it again, this is another, you know, it's prone to infection. So another reason why um, uh, people in agriculture do this kind of pruning of fruit trees is the more a tree grows and puts its energy into growth, it has less energy for disease resistance. This is not esoteric. This is very, in, very intelligent. If you cut this tree back and you say, I'm only going to have half as many branches. The strong, I'm going to leave the strongest branches. I'm going to cut the diseased ones away. I'm going to cut the little straggly ones away. I'm going to cut the ones away that kind of go down like this and, you know, they're touching the ground and stuff. You are left with a much healthier plant. What few resources it has is put into fewer but stronger and bigger fruit, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fall over. How many people have seen the peonies bloom at, at, at Memorial Day, and when they're just loaded with flowers, what happens to that plant? <laughs> It's overburdened. It falls over, and it, and, you know, it, it's not good. This is this is the same analogy. How many people want to be pruned? <laughs> Who likes pruning? Not me. <laughs> Who is pruning you? Who is pruning you? Spirit. And X. Ah, this is good. I didn't just have my kids, bless their hearts, I didn't just have my kids go with shears. They, there'd be nothing left. <laughs> Do they have, where we live, they have these trees that they graft, all these different yes. types of trees on them? And I always think of that because I think the fruit is different than it produces. And when you put, graft these trees together, sometimes one part will thrive and another part will not. And so it's not all equal. Sometimes it's one area of the tree or one area of your life it has to really oh, get, so you know, so take care of that or more attention to this part that the graft is not taking to, to have a full body with all these different types of fruit. I'm going to have you come back, Sherilyn, and teach. Because this is, this is very insightful, actually. This is absolutely right on. I'm going to focus on the areas in which you have strengths. I, I love old people, but when I go into a nursing home, I burst into tears because I just can't take it. It's too much sadness for me. That is not my calling on this earth. I'm sorry, it's not. 
I feel like my calling is teaching. And God has said, you're good at teaching, but you're not good at some of these other things. I'm going to cut these other things out of your life. We're going to focus on what you're good at, right? Think of your spiritual gift. And has God been pruning you to try and get you into that area? But I also like the analogy of the grafting in. Jesus has made several analogies in his ministry that there's a certain group of people who have been grafted in to a rootstock that is the source of all salvation and righteousness. What is the rootstock? The Jews. The covenant relationship with the Jews and who has been grafted in to enjoy the nourishment and produce the fruit. Every Gentile on this planet, which is almost every Christian, that is awesome. I get to participate in this, real, in this covenant relationship that leads to, to eternal salvation in paradise. I'm really glad I got grafted in. <laughs> but what happens if you get grafted in and it doesn't take? This happens. I'm sorry to say, a lot of the time, people are grafted in and it doesn't take. The seed is, is sown on the rock. I want to be the person whose seed fell on the good soil. <laughs> I want to be the, the graft that took. And I want to produce good fruit. And if I do, I'm doing it out of love. I do it because I care. Someone asked me once, you know, you know, what do you do for your day job? And I, and I tell people, you know, I, I, you know what I do uh, during the day. But what's my passion? My, this is my passion. It really is. I mean, if I could get paid well and, and support my family, uh, I would probably do this all of the time. Um, this is my, I want this to be my passion because this is what I feel produces fruit in this world. And I'm willing to take pruning and I'm not going to like it. <laughs> I'm not going to like it. If you, if you allow your mindset to understand that God is what he wants for us, not from us, mm -hmm. that then the pruning oh, yeah. Because he is, he's shaping us. I love this. For, for what really he's put in our heart that makes us come alive. Not, he's not trying to kill off part of us so we have to walk around with our heads hanging. I might rewrite this a little bit, and maybe you're not saying it this way, but I caught something at the beginning. God's trying to say, I'm, I'm focusing you on production, on food production, not on consumption. I don't want to keep hearing about all the nitrogen you're missing, and I don't want to keep hearing about all the rain you're not getting. I'm pruning you because I know what's best for you, and if you follow my commandments, it'll work. You will have enough of everything you need. Yes. I know that they're going to try to burn down the high beam or whatever. <laughs> well, I, it's true. I mean, I'm saying that in all honesty. How can I Storm's coming with peace today with what's going on? Because he's cut that part out of me. Hmm. Bitterness. I think it's easier okay. to accept the pruning as we get older in our Christian walk. I know. Um, God has shaped me a lot, but now I'm starting to see how even my childhood before I was a Christian was making me, you know, where I am today and giving me the tools I needed for life today. And I think that once you can see some of those connections, it becomes easier. The blind faith in the beginning is the hardest part I, when you when you don't have those connections and you haven't seen the that progress that happens from it. I love, I love what you're saying. I hope it's right because the older the vine, 
guess what? The older the tree, how much pruning is required in general? Right. More. <laughs> so I hope I'm good with it because <laughs> it's, right? The older it gets, the more gnarly it gets, the more pruning is required. I love talking about science. This is great. We never do this. This is a uh, thank you for coming. It was great to have all of the guests, and uh, we'll see you all next week, hopefully.